Today we're going to consider the most perfect way anyone can live, the way of love. We've been looking at the idea of love from the passage in 1 Corinthians 13 for several weeks, and it is the only true way for us to grow up in the Lord, is to understand His love. He is not out soliciting for us to simply love the way we want to, and then He will accept us. No, He, he is the author of love. Love is defined when you see Christ and you understand God. And we'll be looking at several ways today about how we love, because love is such an unusual subject, it's uh, probably one of the most maligned subjects that you could ever read about. But I want to share with you a passage here, and I think this is a very important one, in Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of, of the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, You have heard it, it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you really have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Today we're going to consider the most perfect way to fulfill that love. And it's not an easy thing to do very often. Loving seems to be something that's very simple. But it's not. It's sacrificial. It gives up our desires and our wants and our needs for another. It means that we understand that God is love, and because of that, we have to reflect Him and not ourselves. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because He first loved us, but 1 John 4.7 also says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So the truth is, you don't know God if you don't understand love. You've not experienced who truly He is. The greatest love you'll ever feel in your life is not from your mom and your daddy. It's not from your, your life partner, but it's from God Himself. So I want to think for a few minutes this morning about how love works and about how we can grow up in the way that we understand and accept love. Because the truth is there are many people today that really don't understand what love is. Love does not determine how you treat somebody based upon what you get from them or how they respond to you. Love goes far beyond that. Love is sacrificial in so many ways. Even when you're ignored, even when you're mistreated, you are to still love in a mighty way. And that's something that's not understood by many people. So the first thing I want to think about this morning is this. Only through Jesus can we truly love anyone. Only through Him. We are only capable of any sort of love because God loves us and pours himself out for us. If you craft your own idea of love, you're going to make something that's based upon what you're attracted to or what you like or what you enjoy. We all have eyes that can see and we all have ears that can hear and, and our other senses detect things that are pleasant to us. And very often we define love based upon those things that are pleasant to us. If you like eating Cheetos... You're going to say, wow, that's, that's a part of what love is. If you like Doritos better than Cheetos, then you may say that's what love is. The reality is love is not based upon something pleasant. That's what like is all about. 
And many of us like many things. But the love of God is, goes far beyond that. It's deeper than that. It's, it's far beyond anything that we can imagine. We can't love ourselves without knowing God. That love will always be limited and empty, and it will be useless because if we really care about ourselves, if we really love ourselves, we're going to want to do better and be better. We're going to want to reflect Him and not ourselves. So many people feel like that they're in the image of love and everything about them is perfect, but the reality is we're all flawed and we're failures. We're broken. And as much as we try, we're not getting younger or better, we're growing older. But what God has made us to do is to be an example of Him, no one else. Now, we all have personalities. We're all unique and different. But the reality is we're supposed to reflect our Heavenly Father. And only through Him can we love those people. He gives us that understanding of love. If you spend time with God daily, if you pray, if you read the Bible, and if you truly contemplate what God is saying to you, if you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, you're going to develop a love for others that is far beyond what this world sees in love. Many times on Facebook, a picture will pop up and it'll be of a little puppy or kitten and everybody says the same thing. Aw, isn't that wonderful? But that's not what love is. As a friend of mine reminded me, it's when that dog becomes 18 years old, is incontinent, does not like anybody, has lost most of its teeth and smells bad. And you still hug that dog because that poor, decrepit tail of that dog that can barely move wags every time you walk in the room. That's love. That's what love is. We all can love somebody that's pleasant or, or, or seemingly perfect or wonderful or they, they ascribe to us certain abilities. But love goes far beyond that because God looked at us when we were at our worst and loved us at His best. And because of that, we are different people today. Now, I want you to think about this also. You become vulnerable practicing God's love. And let me tell you what I mean by that. C.S. Lewis in The Four Loves talks about, he says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung out and possibly broken. You take a chance. If you want to make sure of keeping uh, your life intact, you must give your heart to no one. You must be self-centered. Don't even have an animal that you can love. Make sure that you're the center of your world. Wrap up your heart carefully around your hobbies and your little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements with other people. He said, lock it up safely in a casket of your own selfishness if you never want to be hurt and you never want to be vulnerable. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, and airless, C.S. Lewis says, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable even. In order to love, you must be vulnerable. You must take a chance. I can remember years ago, I had a widow in my church in Atlanta come to speak to me, and she asked if I could drop by her home. Her husband had died about six weeks before, and she was struggling with the fact that she was at an age when she needed someone around, but no one was there. I knew that it was dangerous for her to come and go in her mid-80s by herself, but she wanted me to talk with her, so I stopped by the house that next week. 
She stood there in the middle of her living room, which was absolutely gorgeous, some of the most beautiful furnishings that I've ever known in my life. And she looked around, she said, look at this house. And I said, yes, ma'am, it's a beautiful house. Ms. Gardner, you've got a lot to be proud of. And she said, that's not what I mean. She said, nothing's out of place. Nothing's messed up. And she said, for 62 years, I'd come home and have to clean up after him. And she said, you know, the first 15 years it was misery, and the next years after that it became just a part of me, and now the clean house is the greatest enemy I have because I need him back. I almost want to say, well, I tell you what, step in the next room, let me trash this place, and you can start all over. But I knew exactly what she meant. Love had become defined by her giving to him something that mattered. Something that he could not do. And she felt that deep loneliness. She had become vulnerable. But as she grew older after that, and she learned to deal with the loneliness and the sadness, she would tell me, AJ's up there waiting on me. I know that. And she said, somewhere in heaven, there's a little corner house that's real messy that I'm going to clean up one day. I told that story at her funeral. Because that's the way she communicated her love. And as much as they were different as night and day, God made two people who are very different one. Because they were both willing to be vulnerable. Plain and simple, we have to understand that that's what love is all about. We have to realize that I'm trapped as a person between two difficult alternatives. We can either live for ourselves or we can sacrifice and take a chance and live for another. Of course, there's always that option of just cutting everybody off completely and living isolated from everybody and choosing to be that way. Choosing to protect yourself. But the reality is when you protect yourself, you become bitter, empty, miserable, and alone. We have to give ourselves away to someone. We have to have that reflection of Christ in our life some way. How can we live and say that we are children of the King when we're not even practicing what He has taught us to practice? You see, loneliness is not the absence of another person. Loneliness is the inability to give yourself away to someone. And many people are lonely because they've chosen to be that way. And they've gone in a direction that's led them away from their Savior in living out what they should do. I can remember so well as I stand here looking back at that empty back row there and thinking about James Boatwright sitting back there. There was no more unique man than James Boatwright. James Boatwright never married, lived uh, away alone, came back home and lived in his mother's house, mother and his aunt's house. But what a remarkable little man. He served. Liz, by the way, you were so good to James. They were cousins. And, and he, was, he was a tough fella to take care of, but you were there with him constantly in the nursing home. James was an amazing man in that he would always speak to everyone, and he had his own little unique thing to say to them. James was unique. He found a place to serve and to give and to do back there on that back row. I remember one day going to see him in the back there at Cedar Hill. 
I said, I hope one day you can come back to church. And he was very realistic. He said, no, that won't ever happen. But sometimes in my mind, I'm there. I think about it. We can always find a way to give ourselves away to someone in love and to care. And it's so important for us to do that. We have to practice that kind of love. If we don't, we're not a part of our Heavenly Father. But thirdly, I want you to think about this. And this is the most frightening part of of these four ideas. We have to learn to love those who we perceive as our enemies. We don't have a choice. God told us that. It's not easy to do that. There, There are people who have done terrible things to us. All of us. We've all suffered at someone else's hands. We've been abused, maligned, neglected, overlooked, ridiculed, slandered. And yet God says we're to love those people. They've attacked us, but but we're to love them. And we're not even allowed to hold a grudge. God's created a lot of pockets in our heart, but none to hold a grudge or bitterness or anger. We can't do that. The human psyche can't dwell with anger. In fact, Carl Menninger, the great psychiatrist, said many years ago that many of the patients that he worked with that had long-term illnesses began by bitterness and an unforgiving spirit. We can't hold a grudge. We can't be angry. Even at the the people that mistreat us, our Lord looked down from the cross and asked His Father to forgive those who were crucifying Him, even though they were fulfilling prophecy. We We aren't allowed to hold a grudge of any sort. We aren't allowed to hate people back when they hate us, when they mistreat us. We have to love people even when we have to love them from a distance. And there's some people you can't love close up. You have to love them from a distance. That's the only safe way. But but how do you do that? How do we practice that in our lives? How do you love someone that you get so many negative emotions from? That they seemingly don't give you a place in which you can hang on to and care about them. Well, I think what's powerful for me in this is to look at them and see what they could become, what God could make of them, what He could do differently in their life. And I think also we need to look back at ourselves and remember that we're not the most lovable people. We've been angry and bitter and rude and indifferent. There have been times when we've lost control and said things that we shouldn't have said. There have been times when we didn't show our Christian faith. We allowed the circumstances of life to to paint us a shade that we really wouldn't want to be all the time. Well, I think that, that it's powerful for us to understand that we have to see the potential God sees in every person. You must see through the eyes of faith to get that. You can't simply have that without it. Church is a funny creation, isn't it? We, we have turned the church into something that I, I think Jesus never meant it to be. Number one, as beautiful as this building is, buildings were never really, really considered to be a part of, of worship. Originally, there was the house church. They met in a home. In a home, people were more comfortable. In a home, they could gather together and they could reach one another. Sometimes we're in a church and we're so far apart. The phenomenon in in our age that we live in now is that 
we have created what is called a megachurch. Megachurches scare me for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is you can have anonymity in a, in a megachurch. You can go in there and people don't know who you are, they really don't care. There's no accountability in a megachurch. That's frightening. I know who is here. I know that Shane Ogle sitting back there who joined just a few weeks ago. He's been every Sunday. Thank you, Shane. We hope to keep seeing you here. I can look around and I can see many, many people that I know and I love here. I also see the empty pews. And I know who's not here. And I reach out to those people. We've had a lot of empty pews over the last two years. And I'm just thankful that people are coming back. Larry Palmer sitting right back there with his hands folded, listening to me for the first time in almost two years. And he's not talking. Linda's making him pay attention. It's so good to see you back. Accountability matters. We miss people. And I think that it's important for us to understand the power of that. We've got to learn to love each other that way. Maybe that person you've seen for years here in the church, but you really never got to know, you're meant to get to know. One of the first things I learned about First Baptist 12 years ago this month is this. The folks on this side of the church many times don't know the ones on that side of the church. And sometimes the ones down here don't know who's up in the balcony. And you certainly don't know the folks over here in the Mallory Room. Boy, these are different folks over here. And we just stay apart like that. And that's not healthy. That's not good. We need to get to know each other. Now, we're not going to start having that, you know, moving around and talking during church. We've done that before, haven't we, Jeff? And, and that gets to be confusing because some people, they love to shake hands so much that they're way over there and they should be over here when we're ready to get back to worship. But it's important for you to reach out beyond your circle of friends and learn to love. Because maybe that absence in your life, that, that emptiness could be filled by someone that God has already predetermined can love you and help you through life's problems. That is so important. But lastly, I want you to realize this. Love is an action, not an attitude. I've had people say, oh, I've got the attitude of love. I just hadn't found anybody to love yet. No. Love is always defined as an action. Frankly, it doesn't matter how much we say we love people. It's not a feeling. It's a reaction. I can remember very well growing up with a mother who loved flowers. My mother could not look at a beautiful flower without leaning down and smelling it. And if she stayed there long, she'd probably pinch it up or try to pull up some of the roots and, and, and try to grow it. She loved flowers. We had flowers all over our house. My first memory as a child is wading out, uh, literally head deep, about four or five years of age, in daylilies. On spring mornings when the dew was on the ground and the snakes were still out there and helping her clean out around there, I had fists full of weeds right away. And my mother loved being out there. I never did, but she did. And I learned to love them because my mother loved those flowers. She saw the beauty that was there. She understood the work that was required, but she knew that, that love was not an attitude, it was an action. If you, if you love things, you're involved. And if you love God, you're involved with His church. You're involved with the broken people in this world, the ones that are hurting and that need help. We've gotten so clinical in the world that we're in that we want to think that people that are hurt need to go somewhere and be helped by a professional. No, absolutely not. 
The Holy Spirit of God is, is transplanted into the believer, not into a professional for a reason. You are the healing mechanism in the world. You make the difference. You have the ability to build a bridge to someone with a broken heart. I remind you that in this state, there was a woman who was blind and could not hear. I've been to her house in Tuscumbia. Nobody understood what was going on with Helen Keller. But it took an Ann Sullivan who had suffered in her own life and understood that sometimes behind the, 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 the thick veneer of pain, there's a heart that needs to be loved. And Ann Sullivan, Annie as she was called, opened up the heart of that woman when no one else could. And God gives us through His Holy Spirit the ability to do that. And because of that, we understand that love has to be an action, not just an attitude. But it's clear, I think, that, that love has to be an action. But our God isn't a God of idle theories. You know, I, I, I say, say this from time to time, just picking on people. But I always ask folks when they're not paying attention, would you want to be a place where there isn't a Bible? And, of course, they always say the same thing. Oh, no, that'd be horrible. That'd be terrible to go somewhere, some country or some state where there was no Bible. But the reality is this. With all due respect, and, and of course... Uh, my Gideon friends, they know this very well. In heaven, there will be no Bible. Did you know that? The book of Revelation makes it very plain. Because the words that are in this book will be written on your hearts in heaven. You will be the walking, talking truth of who God is. You will be the testimony of Jesus. The Bible will not exist in heaven except in you. And that's one of the reasons the Gideons work so hard and in such a committed way to get this book out not simply to know that it's there but that you'll take it and put it in your heart that you'll ingest it into your lives God wants us to understand he's not the God of idle theories he's a God of practice he's a God of love it is good to love our children and and we should do that but please don't let your love begin and end with your children it's natural to love them, but learn to love the unlovable. Learn to love the children that have no one. Learn to reach out to those who have no one that cares about them. Stephen Olford wrote in his book, The Grace of Living, one of the most remarkable stories I've ever read about a, a pastor during the American Revolution, Peter Miller. Peter Miller lived in Ephrata, Pennsylvania, and he enjoyed a friendship with George Washington. But there was also a man that lived there named Michael Whitman. Michael Whitman was the most sour, angry, mean, evil-minded sort that you could ever meet. And he had moved away at one point and was arrested for treason and was going to be tried. He was going to be hanged. Now he was absolutely... He hated... Peter Miller. Peter Miller was the kind of person that, that, that preached to everybody. He was your typical Baptist preacher back in that day. He'd climb on his horse and ride anywhere to preach. And he begged that he could go and see Michael Whitman. He traveled 70 miles to stand before him as they had the tribunal there. And as George Washington was prepared to have them take him up and hang him. 
And in the midst of that, up stood Peter Miller and he begged for mercy and clemency on the behalf of of George Washington. And George Washington said, I can't grant your life for your friend just because we're friends. And he said, oh, he's not my friend. He hates me. He despises me. He said, you're kidding. He said, he ridicules me constantly. He's never set foot in my church. said, he absolutely hates everything I do. And he said, then why are you here appealing on his behalf? And he's, he said, because Jesus appealed on my behalf and saved me. And I'm being Jesus here for him. George Washington dropped his head. And he looked at him and he said, Michael Whitman is forgiven and he must go with Peter Miller. The 70 miles journey back, we are told that in that journey, Michael Whitman became a follower of Christ because somebody loved him sacrificially and unconditionally. That's what I'm talking about, growing up in love. Not loving when it's convenient or it works for us or we get what we want out of it, but loving when it's tough, when it's hard. Because that's how Jesus loved us. And that's why we're all here today. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much that you love us with an unsearchable love. A love that no one could describe But truly, that love calls us to be close to you, to be like you, to be in your image. And because of that, we are here today, and we bow our heads to say, Lord, speak to us. Change us. Give us the love that we need. Not a self-centered love, not a love that just reaches out for what we want, but a love that's sacrificial, that's giving. And Father, I pray this morning, if there's someone here within the sound of my voice, They want their love to expand beyond the horizons that they've established. They want to truly love as you love. I pray that this would be a day that they would grasp that love and hold on to it. Lord, let us understand that there's no room for pragmatism in your kingdom. Only you make the choices and you set the goals. There's no room for selfishness in your kingdom because truly your love is selfless. It gives away what is best simply because we love. And Father, I pray that you would speak to someone this morning that's seeking your will and your way in their life to do that which is right. Father, speak to someone just now and may they hear and respond as the Spirit leads. For we pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen. Hymn number four.